Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. A couple of royal reminders before we dive in. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group at Royally Obsessed. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave us a royal rating of five stars. Pretty please send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. We love to hear from you guys. And we have such an exciting episode coming Ooh, up today. We're so excited. We want to w- extend a very special welcome to, ve- to very special friends of the pod. Ladies, And we'd love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself yourselves and also tell us what you do but why you're royally obsessed. Micah, why don't you kick it off? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm Micah Meyer and I um, I teach the Plaza Hotel Finishing Program where we actually have a royal etiquette course um, and I was trained in London under a former member of the Queen of England's household of staff and just wrote um, two new books this year called Modern Etiquette Made Easy and Business Etiquette Made Easy, where we talk about a lot of royal etiquette. So I'm obviously royally obsessed and so excited to discuss finding freedom today. Love it. I love your books. Hey. And I'm, I was the lucky per- person that got to take one of the finishing school classes. I love that. <laughs> I'm always jealous of that. Ariana. <laughs> I'm Ariana Davison. I'm the digital director for Oprah Magazine. I'm yes. also an author, too, as well, of the upcoming book, What Would Free to Do, out October 20th. But I have just been royally obsessed since I was a kid, and I used to watch all things Princess Diana with my mom all day, every day on TV. And I've just always grown up with an infatuation with the royals, but that just exponentially expanded once Meghan Markle came into the picture for many reasons, which I will, Yay. I'm sure, dive into. No, we're in so episode. thrilled to have you both. And just to get, you know, let all the Roros in on our plan, we are abandoning our own royal protocol this week for a virtual roundtable to discuss Finding Freedom, the new book by Omid Scobie and Carolyn Durand about the Sussexes' love story and subsequent departure from the firm. This means that you'll have to wait until next week for us to discuss Meghan and Harry's move to Santa Barbara and all the Crown casting news. Don't worry, we will not forget. But now, without further review, now without further ado, what are we sipping? And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Well, today's royal refreshment, I am sipping a chilled red, which, you know, I don't know if that's okay or not with the wine snobs in the room, but it is delicious. (laughs) And so I will be sipping that. What are you sipping, Bowie? So I'm actually having a, a gin and tonic. Very, uh, I felt like that seemed appropriate. <laughs> it's a London dry gin. Oh, yes. Very appropriate. Yeah. What about you guys? Um, I have a Boodles gin and tonic, but I didn't have any lime, very sadly. So, um, But it's still delicious. <laughs> and Boodles is British. So I thought Perfect. Uh, very appropriate for today. Yes, totally. 
I have a very small glass of rosé <laughs> because I have to get back to work after this and it cannot just like no, 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 totally, totally imbibe with you guys. That so is always little, the problem with this because we film at like 2 but, o'clock and sometimes we film, we record, I should say, at at 10 in the morning we've done it. And we even when we when we first got the excerpts from the book, we did a power hour where we did shots while we were – it was like such a bad idea. Very, It turned into sips. It wasn't full shots, but it's just like the, this to segment say, is tricky. Needless at work was shot. Like we yeah. were just like uh, – Productivity levels. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it was not exactly. a good plan. Uh, but let's let's dive in. I feel like so you guys read the book. What were what would you say? Let's all talk about our gut reactions to the book starting out. Um, okay, so I, I'll go ahead and start. Um, I thought that I was kind of entranced by the love, like the love story. I didn't realize it was going to be such a love story. Um, and I loved that. And it was kind of every girl's sort of dream story, um, in the beginning at least, that I, I just thought was so hopeful and so inspiring and really gave such amazing insight into the kind of the tiny details that you speculate about but you don't really know. And I kind of felt like you were a friend chatting um, about the the day-to-day that went on. And we only saw the headlines and the news. You know, we got to see the behind the scenes in this book. And I loved that. Yeah, I totally agree. What about you, Ariana? I agree. This is where I should definitely add the two caveats. One is that Omid, so the co-authors, Omid Scobie and Carolyn Duran, Omid is a old friend of mine. We work together at Us Weekly. And then Carolyn is actually a contributor to OprahMag.com. So I know both of the writers, so was a little biased going into it, but I also thought it was just so well done. And I kind of, I mean... I, as I was reading it, just felt like it was just felt like almost like a movie, just how, you know, it was just kind of getting into the glamour and the love story and just the amount of details that they wrote about everything from, you know, the first time she traveled with the queen to the, you know, the, the wedding. Like there was just so many details in there that I, I know that it was already a lifetime movie and I'm sure there will be many movies about Harry <laughs> and Meghan, but like, I totally felt like it read like just a beautiful love story on that could definitely be a movie one day. Yeah, absolutely. I feel and like to, it was a total fairy tale in the beginning yes. in particular. Yeah, what were totally. you saying? I was going to say, to be clear, we did not know that Ariana was friends with Omid Omi before having her on the pod. So that's really exciting. I love that. That's so fun. Yeah. No, I, I just, I think that it also, oh, go ahead, Roberta. I keep cutting off. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, I think my gut reaction to the book was that I think it, it's interesting that it doesn't paint them in a perfect light, which I kind of expected it to be a little bit of a mouthpiece for the Sussexes. And it, it, is in a way it does tell their side of the story, but it also, you know, they did ha- make mistakes. They're humans. Like they made mistakes with how they went about, you know, exiting the Royal family and being kind of, you know, brash about all of that. But also it's like, okay, that makes them more relatable. And I think that's what I really liked about it was the human aspect of them. And just seeing like, I mean, if I'm, I have to be totally honest. My favorite part is like the details of the, evening wedding reception that we didn't know before and all these tiny little behind the scenes moments that we've never heard of. So that was my favorite. Yeah, totally. I think what about you, Bowie? I think for me, I just really expected when reading to have it be kind of clear villains or something. We when we first heard about the book coming out, there were a lot of probably tabloid reports that kind of said that, ooh, you know, William should be worried and things like that. But I feel like it actually made it feel like their relationships were so, you know, Omen and Carolyn did a great job of showing how important Harry felt about his relationship with the Queen, about his relationship with William, like all of those. It's just I, I came away feeling like it's more the complications of sibling dynamics, for example, with William and Harry and things like that. I just didn't feel like the only clear villain was the media for me, you know, so that was kind of my gut reaction. But 
I think the big question we have, though, that we wanted to kick it off with for both for everyone is were the Sussexes interviewed? And now, you know, Ariana, potentially, you know, you (laughs) might have more to say about that knowing Omid. I mean, I I know what he said, too, is that they definitely weren't. Um, Yeah, no, I think that like, from an official perspective, I mean, one of the, 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 actually the part that I read first was the author's note, just because that, and I think the intro kind of really gave an interesting look into how this book came together. And it's, I think that they just did so much research and reporting over the years. Um, Literally, I think they said since 2016 onward. So to me, it definitely felt like everyone, I think a lot of the information is very legit because it sounds like it came from closest, very source to them. Obviously a lot of them were anonymous. Um, So I think it was a good mix of, sources and also their own observations from just actually working with the couple on it. They, I think they said form, both formal and informal engagement. So I don't think that they were like officially interviewed in any way, but I definitely think that they, as the co-writers of this book, were privy to a lot, both sources and also just like interacting with the couple in ways that gave them, um, I think this information did feel very, like, I think as you guys said, it was felt very balanced. And I think you could tell that they weren't just like a mouthpiece for the Sussex, Sussex. I don't know why I can never say that. Um, So yeah, to me, it just felt like very thoroughly reported, but it it didn't feel like it was like they were trying to like, you know, have their own quotes in there surreptitiously or anything like that. Totally. Yeah. I think um, from reading it, I mean, there were certain details that, that you could only know if it came from, you know, there were intimate moments on Megan's thoughts. And those were the parts that I was like, how how would they know that? That had to have come from her. There were actual quotes from her um, in her intimate moments and and about her thoughts. And I don't know that even a friend or an aide could give an exact quote of how she was said she was thinking or feeling. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I feel like she, you know, she must have at some point given those to them. I don't see how else somebody could know that. Um, but it's, you know, I also think to have those insider kind of tidbits, it has, they had to have been given people or sources that they were okay with them going to. And, you know, and aides don't talk. They, they legally can't talk without being asked to, or, you know, so it just, there were things that I didn't see how it was possible without their consent. Well, we were curious because, Micah, I feel like you understand this more than anyone. How? What is the difference between like a courtier and an aide and senior aides and all that communication breakdown? I think the book kind of enlightened us a lot on in terms of also how the different houses play together in terms of sharing stories. I think that was a big question that Roberta and I both had as we were reading. Yeah, of course. So there, there are, um, you know, there are officials for the family, the overarching family, and then every independent family within um, has their own support system is how you can kind of think of it. So Megan's personal aid will not be the same as Kate's and will not be the same as Harry's even. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there are overarching advisors and then there are specific advisors. The, spe- the specific advisors are the actual aides that travel with them day to day. Um, and so, you know, I think those people are so protective of them. And so unless they were probably given permission to speak and, and Omid and Carolyn, they did say that they spoke to AIDS, you know, I think it just shows how close of context they had for this, this book. 
Yeah. And I think Bowie and I have talked extensively about this and, and wondering, you know, what di- what level of access did they have to the Sussexes themselves? And I think it falls into two kind of buckets. It's like on the one hand, you have Andrew Morton tweeting, like, replace Harry's name with Diana. And it's basically Windsor Groundhog Day. Like, it's just a repeat of what happened. And we know that he had transcripts of the Diana interviews and all of that. And so on the one hand, there's a lot of people that think they really did, you know, tell their friends to, you know, this is the whole story. These are the details because like the details, some of them, one of them I wanted to point out was like uh, the very first line of the book is like Megan whispering to Harry before their engagement photo call. You've got this. It's like who else would have known that? How could you even the photographers were too far away. They said the Royal Rota was too far to hear any of that. So it's like two people know that quote you know what I mean so that to me is like so eye-opening as to the level of access either they you know cc'd their friends on emails to the authors or whatever it was they set up somehow the access for them but then on the other hand like I mentioned before it's not like there it's not like there are no mistakes made by Harry and Meghan and so I think too that it paints kind of a portrait of how they you know they weren't perfect at all and so I think that that could be an argument against you know them talking to Harry and Megan like they really tried to get as many people as they could they they said they fact-checked every source with two other sources I guess so it's it's pretty wild the level of detail um but also you know to be fair and to say like they weren't you know they messed up at some points and this is this is why this has happened so yeah, I'm just curious so if they <laughs> how I'm just curious if they, you know, if Harry and Meghan gave certain friends their blessing to talk to do the interviews. Like Micah said, I think that they would have to come to get like they would have had to give that approval and that make that makes a lot of sense to me. Think about the People magazine interview where Meghan gave permission and now she's she's trying very hard to protect those friends from their names being released in the media. And right now the, the judge has granted that as, as kind of a safety right now. Um, but she did give those people permission to speak to People Magazine. And it might be something similar to that case where these people were so inside that they knew these inner thoughts. They knew, you know, maybe she, she gave them, you know, I think she had to have given them permission right, is, is my assumption. And, and then they knew so much and because that's exactly right. That, that one quote where, you know, you're right, Roberta, there's no way the only two people in the world that could have known that were those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's I also so- think, I mean, I think Carolyn and Oman obviously have a relationship with, um, you know, Megan and Harry. And I think that they wouldn't have wanted to risk that for any reason. So I'm sure that they, you know, I, I definitely feel like you can tell that they were very careful with like, you know, the sources and, and all of those things. So even if they weren't necessarily interviewed, I do think that, they at least had some type of sign off or were on board with certain things because I don't think that either of them with as much access as they've been given would have put that, put the relationship with the Sussexes at risk. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I feel like even, you know, uh, Harry and Meghan also have come out saying they weren't a part of it, but they haven't refuted anything. I feel like so much care was went into the publication of this book and the interviews behind it. I did like the New York Times op-ed, I don't know if you guys saw it, that said that the book reads more like an autobiography than a biography because of the level of detail, but, you know, that's an op-ed Or, or a rom-com. Opinion. Or a rom-com. rom-com for the first <laughs> a lot of our rumors were saying that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love the, the, like, nights in Africa and all of those, like, really kind of over-the-top moments and a little bit cheesy, like, what, what yoga pose Megan Megan was doing while on their trip but it's still it's like it's cheesy but I love the insight that you get and it just really makes them feel like real people and and so but we do want so next we want to talk about the relationships and how 
you know, through reading the book, how your perspective on certain people and situations and royal headlines may have been changed by the book. So we're going to go through some of those relationships because I know for me, I had a, a preconception about some of the relationships like Harry and William that was changed when reading the book or um, or Kate and Megan. So we'll start with Harry and Megan and dive into kind of, you know, the courtship and the engagement and their first date. So Ariana, yeah, the book spilled you... so much. It was so really much, great detail. So yeah. Much. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or or what you thought about those moments? I mean, I think um, I I think of Harry and Meghan's relationship. I mean, what I loved, and again, this is all, I mean, I, I guess it was all from sources, but even just like the, the tiny details of like their blind date and the fact that there was other people there and like the descriptions of her getting ready and how... I think the surprising nugget there to me felt like that they both kind of were very casual going into it. Like I would have always assumed that like it's Prince Harry and if you're going on a blind date with him, it must be like, we're very seriously trying to make this like a setup. But I don't know. I, I was surprised at the whole story of like how their first blind date went and then kind of how things unfolded from there. And um, also the, I think the involvement from friends and like how many friends were involved in like setting up their very private um, rendezvous and just how all that came together. I think that was some of the most surprising parts of it to me, um, just because, you know, it's like, we know, we know the news of when they, it was first announced that they were dating, but just hearing all those very small details and how their relationship blossomed to me, I thought was like one of the most interesting parts. Yeah, Marcus totally. from Soho House, right? He was kind of the hero <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, Marcus, Marcus was definitely the hero. And even just the details of like, they were sitting, like she had a martini and he had a beer and there was like some little appetizers on the table yeah. and they were in the corner. Like just those little details and just imagining like, imagine you're getting set up on a blind date and that you know it's with Prince Harry and just like the excitement and like, I don't know, all of that part, that part to me was just so... Um, it it just made the whole thing feel a little. I mean, minus the like designer dresses and all the yeah. other stuff they were mentioning, it, it and also the Soho house setting. Yeah. Um, it just made the whole thing feel. I felt like very relatable. I also yeah. felt kind of nervous for Harry. Like I was like, man, you better hold your own against Megan. Like the setup with Megan and her whole upbringing and how you know incredible, like what an incredible person. I just was like, man, Harry better like, I mean, I guess it was part of the narrative too, where he was kind of saying things like, I really have to step it up to his friends, like this kind of sidebar comments in the book. Uh, but I, yeah, I felt like, Ooh, he better impress Megan. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I also, I, I think to your earlier point also, even in like the, bi the biography kind of, of like Megan and how she ended up at this point, I was kind of, I was almost a little bit surprised because again, we assume that the writers want to like, you know, say only nice things about Megan and Harry, but even when they were talking about Megan and like deal or no deal and how she did used to kind of tip off the paparazzi from time to time to come for appearances. Like yeah. I didn't really feel like they held back about her kind of prior Royals life and like how she was kind of like this up and coming actress who was just trying to make her way. So I think that they did a good job of kind of establishing like we all knew Harry's backstory as like the wild child, but then they also did the backstory of Megan and how driven she was and and then so seeing them to come together just felt like this like very glamorous again like movie fairy tale like meet cute but that was set up by friends <laughs> and so. but we still don't know exactly who i feel like the authors like took pains to kind of not share exactly who set them up like i think harry was like it was serendipitous and like we just met but they know marcus and i think misha nonu had big a big hand in that setup but i don't think i think it said that both uh, Harry and Meghan were 
very like tight-lipped about who actually did set them up and like still only those closest to the couple know the identity of that person so I thought that was really interesting but it wasn't I guess it wasn't Violet Von Westenholz which we had all thought before so who knows yeah Micah what did you think um, I, I just thought it was just so, um, it was just so charming. It was like the, I just was so happy for them when I was reading it. I was so happy for Harry and I was so happy for Megan. I thought it, it's like you could get goosebumps, you know, reading through it about how sweet and how perfect they were and how they knew instantly and anyone you mean, you have to be, I mean, I feel it's impossible not to be happy for two people that have such chemistry like that and found each other. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and, and they, they found each other. So I loved that part. I thought it was so sweet, and I was really excited for them, and I was really impressed they, they were able to hide it and keep it secret for as long as they did. Um, interesting how it actually leaked because everybody kind of wondered that, and I think this book revealed um, exactly where the tabloids said that it did come from, which was surprising. Um, but uh, I thought, I know I loved it. I loved that part. That was one of my favorite parts of the whole book. Yeah, you, I want to go ahead. I think we're going to ask the same question. <laughs> yeah, about so Harry and Eugenie too, that kind of relationship was something that I hadn't known and wasn't, I don't think as widely reported on in the media as some of the other relationships. And that is kind of how it got leaked to the Sunday Express. So um, the authors allege that one of Eugenie's and Prince Andrew's staffers was the one who kind of leaked the uh, Harry and Meghan relationship. And I thought it was so interesting because that there were only a few people that knew and it was because Harry and Eugenie are so close. And I think that the authors really, um, you know, delved into that relationship and how they were kind of parallel growing up, you know, that both their moms got divorced around the same time. And so they're both, you know, the younger sibling, they're both partiers. They love to <laughs> go to the London clubs together and they went on double dates when Harry and Meghan started dating. And so, and Eugenie, I think set, uh, set him up with Cressida. Is that, am I saying that right, Micah? Yes. Cressida? Yeah, Cress. Her friend's called Cress. 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 Okay. Like but that. then when she met Megan, she said that she was just the tonic for Harry. So I thought that was really sweet and how close that relationship was. But then it was like, there. I think their Halloween party at Soho House, he got a call and it was, they were with Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank in Toronto at a Halloween party at Soho House and... Uh, the Sunday Express said, you know, we're running this story tomorrow. So it's like, uh, the yeah. the fallout from that too. I think, you know, a part of me thinks maybe that relationship was never on the same level again because then later on, uh, Megan shares the news of her pregnancy at Eugenie's wedding. And I think the bride was a little bit like, couldn't you have waited? Like, this is my big day. So that felt a little bit like, you know, not getting back, not revenge, but it was, it was, it was like, oh, wow, this relationship has, is not the same as it was when they first started dating. Totally, totally. I do feel like the Halloween party is where the rom-com script comes in, though, where it's like, they're having the time of their lives. And then it's like, he gets a text. And like, if this was a movie, it just felt like that was, I don't know, it really does. That's like the climax of it. Yeah. (laughs) I felt like, and everyone had to be assembled. Even the visual of like them coming to the party in these masks, but like no one knows it's Harry and Megan. Like that whole, I love that whole, that whole thing. Again, I, I know I keep referencing the Lifetime movie, but that was also seen <laughs> in the Lifetime movie. And like, I just, it just, 
definitely felt like a rom-com moment for sure. And then like leading up to that, it could be like a cool montage of like all their like, <laughs> you know, pr- secret goings on in Toronto and jetting back and forth and all. I don't know. We're, I think this is going to, they're going to have to do another movie. <laughs> that, just, that reminded me, I loved when they were flagging all of the little like details and subtle messages that she had on her Instagram that were kind of like nods to Harry. And even the fact that she was following his secret Instagram account, like all of those little things where it's like, I think it's the kind of thing that all of us do when you're in the early like honeymoon phases of dating someone. But it was just so funny that like her version was to secretly have like a candy heart on Instagram. So Prince Harry would see it like it was just it was very cheesy, but adorable. Or her dog in like a Union Jack sweatshirt or something like little things like that that she posted yeah. that were like yeah. so subtle coy. Calls. Little tributes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're all known. Interestingly, they're, they're, they still all are known to have their own Instagrams even now. So That's so um, crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was great. Like the Spike Mao five and the, the ghost <laughs> emoji is still one of my favorite details. My boyfriend's corrected me so many times. He's like, it's Spiky Mouse. Oh, Spiky it's, Mouse? It's Dead Mouse. Yeah, oh, you're supposed to yeah. say Dead Mouse. And I'm yeah. like, okay, sorry, Malphite. Like, I love <laughs> to know that they still have Instagram accounts. They have to. They have to stay connected. No, yeah. I mean, everyone, even even Beyonce has a secret Instagram account. Like people, oh. like I, I'm pretty sure uh, like every celebrity has like, that, I mean, just a theory. I have no proof, but well, you, there's no way. You wouldn't have your finger on the pulse of anything if you didn't like you I feel like so much of my like social consciousness comes from Instagram you know I mean in addition to many other sources who aren't aren't celebrities who have like Finstagrams I feel like that's a very common (laughs) occurrence now so okay well for the sake of time let's move on so William and Harry what did you guys think about that because that relationship I actually felt a lot of comfort reading the book because I was like you know what it really is that in particular the the explanation that William is the calm and level-headed one and Harry tends to be sensitive and run a little hot. And I just really relate to that with like a younger sibling. I just think it's sibling dynamics. But what did you guys think? This was actually something I wish they had gone into a little bit more. I understand why they didn't because I think that there is one chapter where, I mean, they basically say like, I think that the tensions between Harry and William had the potential to like really hurt the monarchy at like as an institution. So I think that that maybe is why they didn't get so much more into it like I did I definitely wanted more about Prince William and then also Kate Middleton and Megan like they kind of I felt like especially Kate and Megan just like glossed over that a little bit but I wanted a little bit more into like just because it was such a big story and there was so much in the news about it and that was one thing I thought that they might refute a little bit more but I did I agree like there were some moments where um I felt like it was kind of a relief to hear that they were getting along or they kind of went into their backstory you know in their childhood but I don't know. I wanted a little bit more on that in the book. Totally. Micah, how about you? I kind of felt like, well, I loved the part about that Princess Diana actually took special care and like made sure Harry knew that he was still special and and that she, you know, she always kind of cheers for for people that that need it. And in this I love that in this book, they gave that inside detail that she actually said, you know, to him on the side, kind of, no, actually, this is a good thing because then you get to get, you know, choose your own life and your own path. And that sort of, that to me is probably advice that he, to this day, you know, guided him in making the decisions he did this past year. Um, I was sad reading about the kind of the disillusion of their relationship. They were so, so close um, you know, seeing them out socially when I was in London, they were like thick as thieves, never apart, literally never apart. Whenever you'd see them out at Tanteria or wherever you were, they were always together. They were best, best friends. Um, 
So that, you know, knowing that and seeing that firsthand and then reading about this is I'm, I'm still a bit heartbroken about it. I think it's really sad. I agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I feel like, you know, in a lot of ways it was that William wasn't super accepting of Megan and how quickly that timeline moved. And so I think, um, you know, he had dated Chelsea Davey for, I don't even know, years and years, like eight years or something and, and Cress for a while too. And then to meet Megan and in the first three months going to Africa with her and then introducing her to his brother, William, I think William was just kind of like in shock at how quickly his brother had fallen in love with this girl. And that, that comment that this girl comment really is what set Harry off. And I think Harry, they, in the book, you know, his personality is that he is very sensitive and he's very, um, you know, he's, he's hot headed in some, in some moments. And he, he is like, he was a little wounded by that. And I think we, I mean, Bowie and I've talked about this on past episodes about this girl and what that meant to Harry and how he was very kind of upset at how his brother wasn't accepting. But at the same time, like William said, he was actually quite happy to meet the girl putting a huge grin on his brother's face. So it was like they, just from the moment they met, I think that kind of soured the relationship between the brothers. I don't know. How, how do you feel, Bowie? Well, I was going to say, I feel like there were a lot of highs and lows as you read. Like, I felt that, like, I think I was really clinging to this narrative because it's the relationship I really care about so much that it stays intact. And I think that there were those, like, I want to meet the girl that's putting the silly grin on, you know, Harry's face. And then it was like, are you sure about this girl? And, like, it just felt like, and then sometimes Harry, uh, William also would have Harry's back with, like, you know, we need to issue a statement. I think initially, they, you know, they did issue a statement about the treatment. Um, that Megan was receiving by the press, I think. But it just feels like there was such a coldness that kind of ended up transpiring towards the end. And it was just that part was hard, hard to digest. I do feel like I guess I'm just reading, you know, from reading things. I don't know how true it is, but that they are kind of rekindling their relationship now that they've parted ways. It seems like they're in a rebuilding phase. But yeah, the book, it just I guess I just walked away feeling like it was pretty intense intensely yeah. complicated. You know, one thing I was thinking is it's, it's kind of like any sibling dynamic though, in the end, because if my brother, my brother, either my brothers came home and said after three months that they wanted to marry somebody, I, as a sister might in a nice way also say the same thing. And you know, just I agree of, totally. Uh, protectiveness. That's... I'm like, do you really know this person? Yeah. So I can see how a sibling, especially not even given their position, um, would be so protective. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and think about William. How long did he date Kate? Mm-hmm. You know, they, I think you know, that that for... contrast is really interesting because William's right. like, let's take it slow. Right. Like how many yeah. William almost is a decade so of dating, thoughtful, and he like ponders over things and he really thinks things through and he probably no matter if it was Megan or someone else probably still would have made that statement is what I was thinking as like just a sibling but I think all all that Harry wanted my take is that all Harry wanted was unconditional support and I can see because I have a younger sister too I can I am the person that sometimes makes comments that as the overprotective sibling, I shouldn't make. As my mom tells me, you're not the parent, so don't make the comments. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, I think I just, I really can, that part of the book really resonated with me because I can see both sides. But anything yeah. else before we move on to the next relationship, you guys? I think no? we should we should jump right into Megan and Kate because that feels like yes. a very natural transition. flow. Yeah, exactly. So 
Ariana, do you want to kick us off? What were your thoughts on that relationship? I, okay. So the feminist journalist half of me is very like, I, you know, I, I, I hated when the press was constantly pinning them against each other and making it into this whole feud. And so on the one hand, I was actually kind of glad that they didn't get so much into that and make that such a big part of the book. But then just the like juicy royal tidbit loving part of me you know did want like a little bit more just because again it's like you do wonder it's like imagine you come into the royal family and the future king and his wife and like they mentioned at one point in the book these two couples are are kind of key to like the future of the monarchy and so I you know it's only natural that we're curious about their relationship so I did want a bit more from them but it, it seemed to me that the way they framed it in the book was just kind of like their relationship just didn't really happen naturally. They weren't naturally close. They were cordial, but they just never really built like a natural relationship. And yes, they had the one nice day at Wimbledon and, you know, they've been nice to each other, but it just seems to me like maybe they're just super different and they never really actually like built a, an actual like genuine friendship. And so I think that that's maybe what it is less so than like an actual feud, which is what everyone was speculating for years. Yeah, totally. I wanted to mention, because Micah kind of mentioned this earlier, but like Megan came into the royal family, I think, as a fully formed adult. And they make, you know, the authors kind of point this out. And it really kind of like blew my mind because Kate was so young when she first met William and when they started dating. And I think that she really like did a lot of her growing up within the royal family or at least knowing a lot of people in the royal family whereas Megan was you know successful in her career she had all these things going on for her as an activist as a UN ambassador she was really you know coming to her own and then to be kind of plopped into this royal family with all of its rules and all of its you know strict goings on it's like they're just so different that's that's the timing is what is really different too about them yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought one of my favorite chapters <clears throat> was chapter 11. I read it twice because it was so interesting to me about the process of Megan becoming a royal. And obviously, mm-hmm. we teach this course. Yeah. This, <laughs> you know so this intimately, really, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, and I was, like I said, I was taught by royal aid. So what I know and just reading about Megan's experience compared to Kate's and this, you know, example of the training and, you know, getting it out of a car correctly and the kidnapping you know, training, especially kidnapping training yeah. and what to do if they were Scary. And it was just comparing both of their experiences and then also saying how different they were. Um, and I think naturally... You know, I think it was, I think sadly the media, um, again, were the ones that um, started this. I don't think there was much, maybe, yes, these, I agree, they're probably very different people, but I think it was the media that, you know, when a big story comes out and there are quotes from sources, you can't help but I'm sure wonder if somebody whispered or somebody planted the story and it would just generally start insecurities with any two women. Um, and I just think it was such a shame that, you know, that it had, that it turned out that way. I was, yeah. I was sad. I wanted them to be, I wanted them to be the Fab Four. I really I did. I know. Me do those Christmas okay. photos. I feel like that was like, you know, it was just Ugh. so exciting to see the four of them together. And I, I think yeah. I was sad too. I really do wish that Kate had taken her under her wing a little bit more in the sense that they were the future or the four of them were meant to be the future of the monarchy. But at the same time, you can't force that stuff. And I think it's, you know, even what you know about Kate, where it's like the book talked about how she's had the same friends from when she 
before her royal days to where she is now and how she's very, very kind of closed off. And that's, you know, a personality type too. I think that, you know, you kind of know your people and that's fine. I think a lot of us are like that. And very similar to William, like Kate seems so pragmatic and so guarded. And I think that because they're, you know, the heir and the spare dynamic, like she and William are the heirs to the throne. And so it's like, they kind of have this like, higher sense of duty and higher calling that they always have to be on their guard. And I think that that she didn't like I totally agree. I don't think she let Megan into her life and, and took her under her wing, like you said, Bowie. But it's also like, I don't know, they have to be so much more on their game. And so but Harry was such a part of their lives. That's what I think upsets yeah. me still is like the three of them were like this little triumvirate, you know, a trio together. And I I do feel a little like I just still feel disappointed. It's but it's not all on Kate. I just want to be clear that it's not it's not her responsibility. But yeah, totally. No, I I (laughs) I thought it was interesting that the because Megan's timing and her coming into the royal family, like Kate wasn't invited to Christmas at Sandringham when she was first engaged to William, whereas Megan was. And I think the Queen made an exception in the book goes out of its way to say like it's not because the Queen liked Megan more. It was just that you know it, she wanted everyone to feel included and whatever. But I do think that's so interesting to point out that like it was kind of an exception to the rule, and also that Megan was given the opportunity to have the solo engagement with the Queen right after their wedding in I think it was like June or July of. 2018 and and Kate had to wait like months and months for that and so it's like if you're Kate and you're looking at Megan who you kind of just met not even that many months ago and you're seeing her have like all these opportunities just given to her because she's a bit older and Harry's ready to settle down it's kind of like okay I went through a lot to get you know to where I am in this family and she kind of just I don't know I I can and, and that's not to say excuses Kate's actions at all but I do kind of think what if that was some of the impetus for that. Yeah. I do think it's important though, you know, this in that relationship, in this part of the book, I thought this was pretty one-sided. Like, you know, this is only the Megan side. Yeah, exactly. And Megan, like, I, and I'm sure it could be so frustrating. I mean, this is not, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's two sides to everything. Um, and, and I just feel like that part, I wish, I don't know. I didn't think that was as fair because you're not hearing, you know, From Catherine's Kate, known yeah. to be such a sweetheart. She's she is, she she truly is. So mm-hmm. it also didn't seem I don't know. I want I I want to think that there's more to it. I'm sure there is. And I think that it's easy to get caught up too with this book where it's like it is truly just one side of the story and not right. e- yeah, and it's from multiple interviews and stuff, but it's yeah you're not getting those other point of views. Totally. I totally agree. Yeah. And I I think, I think it's also tricky because we're never going to get this kind of book from William and Kate because he is the future king and he, and they don't have the same flexibility like Harry, Harry, even before he, they kind of distanced themselves from the Royals as much, even still as the quote unquote spare, like he could get away with doing something like this more than I think William could. So I don't think that Kate, um, you know, will ever be able to tell her side of the story beyond just speculation versus this do- this does feel in many ways as we as we as the time said like an autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And imagine how frustrating it would be if you're Catherine and not being able to even release a statement. And I'm sure she's like, ah, 
you know, I know. And I, yeah. you can imagine, but she will never, she will never comment. She's, she'll take the graceful road, no matter how, how much truth or not there is to it. You'll never hear from her on this. Cause they're I still not, you know. bound to the never complain, never explain. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Which is what um, Harry and Megan got away from. Yeah. But I do, I do, I do really, I love both Megan and I love both Kate. And I think they're, you know, I think they all, they ne- neither of them would ever have intended to to hurt one another. I would hope. I, I think that that's what I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we are, you know, we just want to keep moving along really quickly. If there are a few other relationships, I think we can talk pretty quickly about. But like, I really like the Prince Charles, um, Harry, Meghan kind of dynamic within the book. I think that that was really special. I mean, Prince Charles was also another hero of the book with such a know, sweetheart. Yeah, which I really kind know. of going out of his way to to be there for Harry and Meghan. What did you guys think? I have to say one of my favorite, it was like one of the smallest details, but I think one of my like favorite, like something that actually made me smile was the detail that Charles has a black and white photo of himself walking Meghan down the aisle. I I forget where it was like on his desk or something that was just, it's one of those unexpected relationships. And I also thought that the way they wove in the Charles dynamic and also even Camilla, who I think obviously we know probably is very familiar with, um, the how harsh the press can be and all of the opinions and um, I thought that that was that was really sweet and even just the way that he responded when they asked him to walk Megan down the aisle I mean it it was I think a surprising relationship that I hadn't really thought much about until reading that part totally I agree and like you know in in lieu of Megan's father dropping out from the wedding at the last minute him stepping up and walking her down and then Megan I think later in the book the authors say uh a friend of Megan says that she considers him a second father, which I thought was really sweet and that Charles had taken a real shine to Megan, that he likes strong, confident women and Megan is just that. So I, I thought that was so, so lovely. And also his his personal touches on the wedding reception. Like he curated that whole like sustainably farmed menu that they had, which so I love. Yeah. 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 And I think I loved I love their relationship. I think that um Charles and Camilla, they're two of the funniest people in person. When they walk into a room, there's not a moment of quiet. They're laughing, they're joking, they're drinking, they're, they're, they're literally, they're so funny and charismatic. They're two of my favorite royals of all time. Um, and I think that it was so adorable that they kind of took her in and loved her. And I love I loved that relationship. And I, I, I think it's probably still probably quite strong, um, at least according to the book. Exactly. Because even though he's like, they didn't, you know, they left the monarchy, but they're still, you know, father and son and daughter-in-law and everything. Yeah, I, mean, I thought, oh, okay. sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I thought just that, you know, them leaving the monarchy and Harry and Meghan, that relationship probably improved somewhat from before because before it was this boss dynamic as well as a father dynamic. And so they were, they, the authors highlighted that William and Harry were constantly going to Charles about money issues and who was going to get which, you know, money for which charity. And, and it was oftentimes Harry felt slighted and William got the money for his endeavors because he's the heir. And so I think that that, um, you know, now that they're not kind of trying to grapple with who gets what of the douchey of Cornwall or whatever, that kind of might help going forward. And when Charles got COVID, I think Harry was like really, you know, made all the efforts to call and contact them. So is what it seemed like. 
But speaking of father figures, I think, or not even father figures, but I think that for me was that one of the harder sections of the book was um, everything with Thomas Markle and Megan. I think, you know, there was actually quite a bit of detail in Finding Freedom about that and just really showing the stark contrast of how Megan was raised by Thomas and how impactful he was on her life, you know, encouraging her to be an advocate, doing the sets for her productions, giving her a biracial set of Barbie dolls or, you know, constructing that himself so that she didn't feel different or she, you know, felt like she, sorry, as I bought my mic, uh, but just really going out of her way to be so supportive of his daughter. And then the contrast of what happened with the wedding. And I think for me, it was so gut wrenching because I, I can't imagine how you're not worn down. I mean, a pop, a member of the paparazzi moved in right next door to Thomas and that was, you know, two years in. And then, but the line in the book that really, um, just I think struck a chord for both Roberta and I that we talked a lot about was when she Megan the night before the royal wedding was like I can't just stay up all night pressing send when you're just not hearing back from your dad and I don't know how you guys felt about that section of the book that was rough I I have to admit I never have really had much empathy for her dad and so I agree with you I think that um he, I mean, I think always in the press, he's always been the villain. So I think some of the insight into, I mean, even there was one line, I think she said to one of her friends where she's like, he's been fully corrupted. And even just the fact of like realizing that he, maybe he was vulnerable and, you know, he wasn't prepared for suddenly all of this pressure and the checks being thrown at him and all of that. I mean, I can't imagine, it's, it is hard to be empathetic for someone who would throw their daughter on, under the bus in this way, but it does it did make me feel a little bit more understanding for him just seeing kind of that tabloid and press machine from the media that, and how that can, you know, really ruin people's lives. So I think all the, all of the details about him and also her sister um, were, it was, it was really sad. I mean, even there was definitely some very bizarre moments, like even when they mentioned Samantha, her sister went like behind Kensington palace to drop off this letter. Like, that to oh, me. Oh yeah, that but was so weird. Weirdly, Scary. it's like yeah. I almost expected more from like her half sister, who she clearly doesn't really have much of a relationship with, versus her own father. Especially compared to some of the really sweet anecdotes of growing up with him and how he, I think, built her the biracial Barbie set and all these different things that were really lovely. And then it's hard to imagine how he went from that to literally just like selling his daughter, basically. But um, yeah, he yeah, selling her, sold out. her out and. That that was definitely heartbreaking to read, but it did get, it did offer a little bit more perspective into how that came to be versus just that he was a, a villain from the beginning. Yeah, totally. yeah. I thought it just sounded like two different people. He sounded like the dream dad at one point. I just I still struggle with how that how he went from one to the next. He um and it's heart, it's heartbreaking. That's the only word for it. It's horrible. And I I always wanted. I was always you know mentally like cheering them on. Like maybe they'll reconnect. Maybe he'll meet Archie one day. But after reading the book. I I can't see how that's possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we're running short on time. I think there was one other relationship I just love a quick thought on is just the Sussexes in the media. Because I feel like that, as I said, I feel like that's the major villain in the story. So I feel like, you know, just at, you know, I I also read the letter from the editor, uh, from the authors at the beginning and, you know, Megan's quote to Omid saying it didn't have to be this way. And it felt like it was really, you know, they were just berated they couldn't win with the tab with the headlines like you know everything that was published about them what did you guys think um i you know i think that i just i have such compassion for them i feel horrible for them and i still think the press that's coming out about them now is i just don't even like to read it it's I, I, I mean, I want, we, we, I think we all want really good things for them. And it's, it must be so hard. I thought it was really interesting to see 
that, that insight about how they do read the media because a lot of advisors would say, don't open Daily Mail, don't open Daily Express, are you crazy? And then there's this one part where it shows how Harry opens up the Daily Mail and reads the comment section, which everyone knows you never read the comment section about yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that they are that sensitive and that they do track the media. Um, so I'm, it's devastating. It's horrible. It's, it's, a, it's a really, and the British press in, in particular can be brutal. So I feel, bad for, I feel bad for them. And I hope, there's, I hope something turns now. I hope they get back on their feet and, and the wind blows and people start being a little bit more gentle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to point out that the authors, you know, they kind of make the case that like when um, something might be going wrong for another family member, a palace aide might happen to just leak a story about Harry and Meghan that looks bad on them. And, and that's how it kind of, that's how the media circus kind of works with the palace. Micah, do you feel like that's true? Is that how things are, are happening over there? Cause that seems horrible that that would. I can tell you from personal experience, I had a daily mail journalist waiting downstairs at my work um, for some insider knowledge that they knew I had Um and it is so, it is, I mean, they get your, they have my cell phone number, they have everything. So like if at any given point, so that's just me who's, you know, imagine them, imagine, mm-hmm. and they would, they offer, you know, these, I had journalists offering me money at one point for, um, something in big amounts. So if there's somebody, wow. even one little loose thread or an aide tells a boyfriend, tells a cousin, somebody sells that story. I mean, I think it happens all the time, sadly. And there's probably when there's smoke, there's a little bit of fire. Um, and I think that that's how it works. There are, you know, for any, for one story written in the Daily Mail or the Daily Express, there are 15 people trying to, to figure it out and calling 15, 20 different sources just to make that one story. So I feel like there's always like, like 70% false, 30% truth to most mm-hmm. of the stories that at least I read when I know there's facts and, and I can tell where there are not. That's usually my like where I can see, but I think it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was glad that they touched on that, you know, I've spoken about nonstop is obviously the, you know, the racist undertones to so much of what Megan dealt with. And I think um, I, you know, I appreciated that that was mentioned a lot in the book because I think it was, you know, it, there's so many people over the years who have argued, no, this isn't about race. And it's more about the fact that she's divorced or that she's, you know, super Hollywood or she's more glamorous, but there's just no way that we can deny that, you know, race is she, what she, there's no possible way that this, you know, that her race and her being biracial did not play a part in all of this. And that's not something that we can just gloss over when we talk about the way the press has treated her and even, in the chapter about, you know, when she, when it first came out about her and Harry dating and that horrible headline about, you know, her mom being straight out of Compton and, you know, just horrible things said about her mother also. I mean, that, that to me is something that I think gets lost so often when we talk about the media cir- circus and the negative attention that they both have received in the press. So I was really glad that that was mentioned in the book and, and that it was discussed. And, you know, I hope that it's something that now that they've taken a step back a little bit does, you know, as, as, um, as you guys were saying, I hope that it is something that gets better and we can only hope that it does. But I also, you know, I give them props for, for making this move. And I think for hopefully changing things for future, for not just Archie, but for future generations, not just of Royals, but anyone who does end up finding themselves in the spotlight. Yeah. And I, we should mention before we hit the highs and lows, I was just going to say that, you know, on that point, I'm really excited for what they've been doing so far virtually. I feel like they're really making their mark. And I think like the 19th speech that Megan gave or the interview that she gave last week, I just think that they, 
there's a lot to come from them. And it's really important to have be able to hear their voice on so many of these topics. It means yeah. a lot. I feel it's so exciting to me to see them because they have now, as as corny as it's going to sound, like really found their freedom and kind of are able to do so much. I mean, Megan's <laughs> nice able to vote. I know. Sorry. Um, I'm sure that's been used more than enough times in the media. But yeah, I feel like they really... I can't wait to see what else they do. Like Megan, I listening to her on Friday with the 19th, like you mentioned, like she just, I feel like she was able to say everything that she wanted to and not feel held back. Like she was like, I love being home, you know, or something like that. So it's like, yes, I can't wait for this to kind of kick off the age of the Sussexes, the era of them. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's thank you, ladies. That was so exciting uh, and such a fun conversation about the book. Is there anything else you want to mention before we yeah, go we can highs and lows or no? Thoughts? Uh, no, I think not for me at least. Highs and lows it is. All right, yeah. cool. Uh, all right, Roberta, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So before we adjourn the Royal Pod, here are highs and lows. So my high the evening wedding reception, I already mentioned, but the details, I felt like the table names, they like had different pronunciations in American versus British English. Like I thought that was really cute. There were food names. I think it was one was like oregano and basil. I don't know how they say it. But I love it's the probably... tomato tomato. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cute. Um, one of their cocktails was like when Harry met Megan um, and then Megan gave her own wedding speech. I was like, hell yeah, that would have been such a such a great moment to witness and I think that you know finding out about that and her standing up and and giving a short little toast and um even like littlest things like the guests switch wedding attire so Serena Williams changed into floral Valentino and tennis shoes and Priyanka changed into like a uh tool Dior gown that was gold like I just loved that so I thought that was really fun and then my low um, I feel like this men in gray suits, which is kind of from the Diana Andrew Morton era, came up again in this book. And I just feel like, you know, I mentioned this when I asked Micah about the palace aides and how stories get leaked and all of that and, and journalists hiding out. I feel like all of this controversy stems from these leaks that are within the palace. And I just I still don't understand, like, who are the men in gray suits? Um you know, it it just feels also icky to me, and I I hate that. And just that it's still so like unclear to me, like where these stories come from and who plants them and all of that. So I don't know. I feel like Omid and Carolyn kind of point to like there's serious competitiveness between Clarence House and Kensington Palace and Buckingham Palace, and like those aides are really serious and take like that competitiveness to the next level. Um, but I don't know if if that's really why all of this is happening. I don't know. So that's the confusion over that. Yeah, confusion, I guess. Totally. Do you want to go? I was going to say, Micah, why don't you? We'll jump around. Yeah. Okay. Okay. um, My high was definitely the um, kind of all the details, I think, of um, the kind of like the behind the scenes thoughts. I just thought that was so cool. Just the, the actual thought process of Megan and Harry and just to hear that where no matter where it came from I just thought it was really great to like the you know like the thoughts she had in Africa and then you know before she walked down there and like all these things I just thought that was really interesting no matter where it came from so I loved that insight um 
I thought, like I said, chapter 11 was just so cool because you could get those details about Sandringham and and the inside scoop of like where the presents were placed <laughs> and specific presents that were gifted, which it's it's they're famous for giving each other gag gifts. But just to really understand that, um, I love that, those details. Um, I think my low was... I just kind of felt super sad about the racism and like really hearing it. We'd all kind of heard and speculation and, um, and we've seen, you know, the headlines, but then to really read what was going on and how that I'm just, I was just gutted, absolutely gutted for her. I was really proud of Harry for always sticking up for her. Um, but that that's happening in 2020 is just bonkers is bonkers Mm -hmm. to me. Um, so that was really saddy. I was very saddened at that part of the book. I totally agree. Yeah. Ariana, which you want to go next? Sure. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll start with my low so that it ends on a high note, but I think that I, I totally agree. I think just like seeing just so much of the, just how sad the, you know, the media machine was and how it created this monster. Again, I, I think obviously the racism and then I think also all of the stuff about her dad, I mean, that just made me really sad that she, you know, it was even like the night before her wedding and she's like texting her dad and saying, and then like that one note when she was like, you know, I, I finally had to say, I, I can't keep hitting send on these messages when he wasn't even replying. And like, I'm just imagining this is supposed to be like the happiest day of anyone's life, but especially her marrying a prince and it's this fairy tale moment. And then she's dealing with all of this with her father, which, you know, was basically the result of this media machine, like that all made me really sad. And I think for me, that was the low. Um, I had a lot of highs, but I will say, I think as I mentioned, um, I feel like the first few chapters and just kind of like the story of how they met and like the blind date and just like the kind of falling in love part and their first trip to to Africa and just the little details of how like the rest of the world had no idea, but they had this like blossoming love story happening it was just super romantic and I loved all those little details um so that was definitely a high and also another little tidbit I loved was when um they talked about her trip that she took with the queen and how they were on this over this train and just all the details of what the train was and how the bath water right yeah and she was getting (laughs) this one lace pillows yeah yeah the lace pillows and the six-person dining table and then also just that she was getting kind of this like one-on-one training essentially from the queen herself I thought that that was that was like a really interesting anecdote that I didn't know had happened so I think those were those were my highs totally totally well I'll go quickly Uh, my high was the Cloonies (laughs) I just loved every bit of detail about that visit I like really wish that we could be some of the neighbors that are invited to their casual 15 person (laughs) Italian dinners with the live music Um, I feel like that sounded so dreamy Um, but my low was very personal to me the suits spoilers (laughs) I am currently making my way through suits um, as part of my quarantine I'm on on season four now as some of our listeners maybe know Um, but but there were some moments that gave some wedding details or whatever it was. And I was like, no, and I had to avert my eyes and skim through it. But that was a big low for me in the book. Um, but anyways, that is that is all we've got, I guess. Yeah, so I'll just close it out. So just a reminder before we leave, leave us a royal rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And a reminder to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram and the Facebook group. You can drop us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Thank you so much, yeah, thank you Ariana guys. What a fun. Such a pleasure to have you guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Do you want to also just mention um, where our listeners can follow you guys on Instagram? Yes, and about the book again. Remind us of the title and when it comes out. 
So you guys can follow me at, um, I'm on Instagram at, at Ariana Gab. That's A-R-I-A-N-N-A, not like Ariana Grande. Different <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm on Twitter at Ariana G. Davis. And my book, All About Frida Kahlo and How to Live a Bolder Life, is coming out October 20th. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, yay. all of the places. So yay. Thank you guys again so much for having me. Yay. yay. Micah, go for, go for it. Um, you can find me at Micah Meyer, um, which is M-Y-K-A-M-E-I-E-R. Um, and then my books, um, my two books, the, the first one is the Royal Etiquette one, Modern Etiquette Made Easy, um, where you can kind of learn the same similar things that Megan would have learned um, when she was doing her training. And again, available kind of at, at all places that books are sold. But thank you so much. Uh, this is so fun. And Duchess um, School, what is the exact name of it? Oh yeah, so it's um, it's called the Duchess Effect. So the Duchess Effect, and we will be holding them again. Sadly, the ones in fall were were canceled, um, but they will be opening again at the Plaza Hotel in 2021. And you can take our virtual online Duchess Effect course um, on my website, BeaumontEtiquette.com. Yay! I didn't know it was online. That's so exciting. Yes. All right. Thank you, guys. Until next week. God save the pod. <laughs> Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.